Hey everybody, thanks so much for joining in today on our Men's Leadership Podcast. And I'm sitting here with Charles Overby. And uh, Charles is the head of the Overby Center of Journalism and Politics at Ole Miss. And he is an amazing man of God. He's been a big mentor in my life, and I'm thankful for him and for his friendship. And we're going to be talking about the election today. So this is a big topic for us. So Charles, thank you for being with us. I really appreciate it. Tell us about you, yourself, your family, and kind of your career. Well, Jeff, thank you. It's such a privilege to be here with you. I enjoy watching you on television, and now to get to look behind the curtain and see how it really works is uh, wonderful. Uh, Well, uh, I have this wonderful wife, Andrea, 52 years. We've Mm. been married. Uh, I love her more now than I did when we uh, first got married. She's my best friend. We have three children and three uh, grandchildren. Mm -hmm. We all love being together, uh, and Andrea's followed me around the country, and I've just been a true Helpmate. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. Well, she's, she is great. I'll tell you, just knowing her and knowing your family, and you're a great husband and father and grandfather now, uh, and what a legacy just to make a difference. And, and you also had a pretty incredible career. I mean, you're the only Pulitzer Prize winner that I know, so that's big. Uh, God has used you in a lot of different arenas. You have been in Washington, D.C. for a lot of years. You've covered almost every presidential election out there, and now teaching on politics and journalism. And so as you have just kind of surveyed what's happened over uh, the United States and all the presidential elections, what are some trends or some insights that you've gained through the years? Well, it's interesting. I think that every presidential election is a bridge in history for the United States. Not every election is as important as other elections, Mm. but they all are historic. And this one certainly will be historic as well. And these bridges uh, sometimes move in the same direction, but sometimes they move in the opposite direction. The pendulum swings with uh, presidential elections frequently in the opposite. I mean, who would think that uh, eight years ago we'd elect Barack Obama and then four years later Donald Trump? Uh, So it's not a straight line, but it is a historic trajectory, each presidential election. Yeah. Is there, is there a one election that's kind of stood out to you as you've been involved in politics that you just, all your studies that you thought, man, this, this was a significant either break in that trend or a significant bridge in that trend? Well, you probably don't want to get me started on that. Uh, with, my, <laughs> with my class, I, I single out like a dozen presidential elections that are unique in their own way. Okay. You know, I, I love the election of 19... Uh, 16, I mean 1912, which is when one uh, former president ran against a current president and a future president, all three. You never had that before. And uh, I like 1920 because two newspaper men ran against each other, the Democrat and the Republican. Uh, so you can pick out uh, uh, all these elections. The first serious uh, contested election was in 1800 between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. It ended in a tie, but the tie wasn't between Jefferson and Adams. It was between Jefferson and his vice president, Aaron Burr. And it took 37 votes in the House of Representatives to choose Thomas Jefferson over Aaron Burr, one of the biggest scoundrels we've ever had. So every presidential election is unique and it's interesting and uh, is great for students of history. Oh, yeah. How did you become so involved in politics? I mean... Well, I was fortunate to know early on that I wanted to be a journalist. Okay. And my journalism career 
propel me into politics uh, as an observer, uh, as uh, getting to know politicians. Uh, you know, politicians have a bad reputation just in a generic sort of way, mm -hmm. but I've found that they, most of them care about their state or their country. They're interesting to be around, and they give up a lot to serve. Mm -hmm. So uh, as a reporter, as an editorial page editor, as an editor, as uh, when I was in Washington, as a corporate executive and then head of a foundation, I got to meet and know most of the uh, presidents since Nixon. Yeah. So you were in Washington, D.C., and I know you had a relationship with, you know, a lot of the presidents and the Supreme Court justices. And all. Right. what was that like being in D.C. and being up close and personal with a lot of the politicians there? Well, uh, most of the uh, big name politicians are very nice people, uh, first of all. Uh -huh. uh, and uh, because I like politics, I enjoyed kind of rubbing shoulders with them. But uh, I try not to get too awed by it. Um, they they uh, put on their uh, clothes just like we do. That's what you've learned, huh? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's a different world in D.C., though, isn't it, than kind of the rest of the country? And kind of being in that microcosm, could you see, like, personalities develop? Or could you see how people in politics are uh, swayed in different ways by um, the impact of, politics and everything that happens? <laughs> well, um, I think in Washington, people are always trying to gravitate toward power. Ah. And I'm not saying that judgmentally one way or the other. I was uh, participating in a Bible study this morning, and we talked about a circle and Jesus uh, and God being in the middle of that mm -hmm. circle and, and our drawing closer to Jesus. And I told them it reminded me of going to uh, events in Washington where there'd be a lot of people and then there'd be a big name there. It might be the president or it might be the senator or vice president. And people were always kind of elbowing their way to try to get in close to the uh, power person wow. so they could have a word with them, shake their hand and be able to say, oh, I was with President uh, Obama yeah. yesterday. I was with President Bush last night. So in Washington, it is really uh, power-based, and that can be almost like a drug that uh, is non-productive. Mm. But it is what it is in terms of Washington. And as long as you can put that power in some perspective of real life, and certainly for us, our Christian lives, yeah. then it's okay. Wow. And that's exactly what we're talking about. Because as, as men, right, and especially as Christ followers, how do we... How do we see the election? How do we get involved in politics without losing our faith? You know, like how do you stay strong in the Lord and still be uh, in part of politics? Well, this, this is a question that has been debated in our country <laughs> for as long as it's been around. Yeah. Uh, and there are some people who think Christians should not dirty themselves by getting involved in politics. Mm. And there are others who think that that's the number one thing that we ought to be doing. We ought to be out there organizing as a church uh, to elect the right people. Well, I think it's something in between. Okay. I, I do think that as Christians, we have uh, a responsibility to, be, to participate in our democracy. But we need to remember the number one thing. Mm -hmm. In Philipp Philippians 3.20, we're reminded that we are citizens of heaven. Mm -hmm. 
and that uh, we really have dual citizenship. I've known people who have two passports, mm -hmm. who are citizens in the, of the United States in another country. I always thought that was really cool. <laughs> but I also wondered, well, how do they know which country they're the most loyal to? Well, we're citizens of the kingdom of God, and we're citizens of the United States, and we know where our primary loyalty has to go. And we get so mm. involved and so caught up in a presidential election that it's easy to forget where our main citizenship is. Mm. And so if I had a caution at all, it is be involved, participate in this democracy. We as Christians have a right and even a responsibility to express ourselves. But don't forget where our number one leader is. Mm. And it's not the president of the United States. Mm. That's strong, Charles, because I, that is, I think a lot of people look to the president being kind of our savior. They're, they're going to fix all the problems in the United States or the world, and, and we can lose perspective of who we're called to be. Yeah, that, you know, I, I don't think God even ordains mm. who the president is. Mm. I, I think God knows who the president's going to be, yeah. but he doesn't ordain who the next president is going to be any more than he ordained me having prostate cancer 10 years ago. Mm. I think he ordained you mm -hmm. being here at Rolling Hills mm -hmm. because that's essential part of the kingdom of God. Mm. But the president of the United States or the chancellor of Germany or the prime minister of Great Britain, that's not, those titles don't give them a position in the kingdom of God. And so that is not something that's ordained by God. God can use that. God can use whether it's President Trump or President Biden, God can use them uh, for certain things, mm -hmm. but uh, that is not the most important thing. Wow. Man, if we can remember that right yeah. now, you know, in the middle of this, this election. As you see this election, right, have you seen a more um, divisive election in, in history, or is this kind of just normal, you know? Well, I'm asked that frequently, yeah. and um, I know that I look old, so I can't say that I've seen this, but we have to remember, to put this in perspective, the most divisive presidential election in history was the election of 1860, when Abraham Lincoln was elected, and that caused the southern states to secede from the nation, yeah. and led to the Civil War, and then ultimately to uh, free, freedom of the slaves. So that was a divisive election. Mm. 1968, which I did see and uh, cover, uh, was a very divisive election. We had even one candidate, Bobby Kennedy, who was assassinated mm. part as, while he was campaigning. So uh, we have had more divisive elections. Uh, but last, uh, the election four years ago and the election this year seemed to be uh, very divisive. And I think uh, we have a role to try to cool the temperature there as Christians. Mm. I think that is so helpful just to have that perspective, you know, because I think we get caught up in what's going on right now and we think this is make or break, right? Like whoever, you know, if, if my candidate's not, um, you know, elected, then man, the, the whole country's gonna fall apart, you know, and people are gonna move to Canada or whatever they say every year, you know. But it's good to have perspective that God's sovereign, God's in control, and God's gonna take care of us, you know. My, my faith is in him. Uh, and we've had more divisive elections. We have, so. and a country will survive. Yeah. And uh, God will continue to be in charge. Mm. Amen. So how do we as Christ followers, because, you know, you look at 
the Republican candidates and the platform, and you look at Democrats, I mean, and they're different. I mean, they're just opposite on platforms, their personalities. Uh, how do you, as a Christ follower, evaluate uh, how to be involved and how to vote? Well, it, it is, uh, I think, difficult. And yeah. I think uh, every Christian should pray for discernment. Mm. Uh, to know what to look for in a candidate. And I, the things that I look for are uh, wisdom, discernment, and self-control. That as I've watched presidents mm. over the years, their ability to understand the issues, their ability to, to discern uh, selecting good people to be around them, to have the self-control to know when to act and when not to act, um, uh, I think those are the same things that, that we can pray to God to ask us to help understand uh, who can best do that. I heard a, a leading um, college president, Christian college president, say here in Nashville uh, many years ago, the worst Christian candidate is better than the best non-Christian candidate. And I just don't believe that's true as wow. it relates to being president. Uh, you know, there's a lot that can be said about serving the kingdom of God through that uh, filter. But we, we, I have voted for people solely because they were a Christian. And they didn't necessarily turn out to be the best president. Mm. So I, I think we have to, uh, at least in the way I discern it, I don't mm -hmm. ask anybody to to look for it in a way other than uh, the, the way that I'm doing it. But uh, I think we have to look on a broader basis. And so you mentioned platform. Mm -hmm. if what do the candidates stand for? What, what do they say? And what will they do? And those, those three things uh, sometimes are completely different. So you have, to, you have to trust. You have to develop a sense of trust in the person you're going to vote for. Mm. That they'll either say and do and believe the way you think they should as president. Mm. That's good. That's good. So as you look back on your vast kind of knowledge of past presidential elections, how have you seen that play out? Because I think that's really why, like, as believers, we always want to vote for the guy who's a Christian, you know? Um, and sometimes maybe that's not the right person. Like, how do you, as you've looked back on the people who've been successful presidents and those who haven't as much, what has been some of those distinguishing characteristics, that wisdom and that self-control? Is there anything else that you kind of see? Well, I, I, I mentioned discernment uh, about knowing how to get good people yeah. around them. Uh, Ronald Reagan uh, is highly regarded today. When he was running as president, for president, a lot of his detractors thought he was a lightweight and it was a joke and wouldn't possibly win. Yeah, movie actor. He, huh? Yeah, that's right. He went on to win. He surrounded himself with good people. He knew how to communicate. And, uh, and events in the world, it's often said that presidents don't shape history. History shapes presidents. Mm. So we never know what's going to happen in a particular presidency. George W. Bush had no idea 9-11 oh, was yeah. going to happen. Mm. And... Uh, with Ronald Reagan uh, and George H.W. Uh, Bush, who followed him, the fall of the Berlin Wall and uh, the collapse of communism. 
that helped shape their presidencies. So we, uh, we need that discernment for people who will be able to react to history mm. in unexpected history that surely will come. Mm. That's strong. Yeah, I mean, I remember George W. with the megaphone. You know, right. like that was that defining moment That's for exactly him, right. that picture of, yeah. yeah, but he didn't know that was coming. Right. Um, how, how does that, the president, impact with Congress and even the Supreme Court? I mean, so we're seeing all this kind of converge right here, right now, um, and impacting all three branches of government. Have you seen that like in the past? Because I feel like that's a, almost as big of a deal right now as the president's. Well, you're right. And uh, I think um, one of the things that's almost, it will be a line that we remember. We remember it from three years ago when uh, Judge Barrett was uh, up for confirmation uh, for the uh, Court of Appeals. Uh, she was criticized. She was said, your uh, dogma lives within you. And that was a criticism of her. And I thought, oh, I just hope that my dogma can live loudly within me so people could say that. Mm. If dog, dogma is kind of an unusual word. If dogma means belief in Jesus, mm. a belief in our Christian faith that will take us from start to finish in our lives and on to eternity, let's have that dogma. And so um, we'll, we'll see that play out uh, uh, over time with uh, different nominations and Judge Barrett's uh, nomination. That will certainly be an issue. Mm. And I think that's one where Christians have a right to stand up and participate in democracy. Mm. That is a great line. Your dogma lives within you. Mm. Yeah. Man, it, it should. It should come out in yes, our life. Right. You know, people need to see that right. in our life. Uh, so would you vote for a president? You're voting for the wisdom and discernment and self-control. Are you also voting for the policies and Supreme Court justices? And, I mean, like, is it a bigger package like, than the person? You I see was, what I'm saying? I do, and I was <laughs> talking to Andrew, my wife, about yeah. that this morning. It's a balance. Okay. It's a balance. Yeah. And, and policy has to matter. Yeah. But um, I tell my students there are four uh, things that have, over the years have been the most important in electing a president. Issues, mm -hmm. political party, money, and likability. And in uh, recent times, since John Kennedy, generally speaking, the candidate who is liked the most, has the most likability, is the one who wins. Wow. That may not be the right thing. Maybe issues should be the most important. But uh, likability uh, tends to uh, prevail. Hmm. Is that so, because of our media society? Pro probably. I okay. said going back to Kennedy, and Kennedy was the first television president. Yeah. And so everybody now has, before television, you didn't really know whether you you didn't see enough of them to know whether you could like them or not. Yeah. Maybe with FDR you did. But now with television, everybody can make a, feels like, feels like they know that president. Mm. Is there a comparison of Trump's presidency to a past presidency? I think Trump is a, a one, no. Okay. But, but <laughs> two, probably a combination of Teddy Roosevelt and Andrew Jackson. Wow. Uh, they both were very strong-willed. Um, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, uh, it was said about him that Teddy, uh, every wedding he wanted to be the bride, every funeral he wanted to be the corpse. Uh, so he wanted to be the center of attention. 
And uh, Trump's a lot like that. Yeah. And Trump is the most accessible president we've ever had. Oh, ever. And it's because he's willing and likes to be in the middle of things. Mm -hmm. A lot of presidents steer away from the press and don't want to be around. Uh, Trump, Trump's uh, out there every day. I teach my class, and I ha have to keep updating what I'm going to say because he keeps updating what he says. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Does a news so, briefing every day almost. Yeah. And Andrew Jackson was very strong-willed. Uh, he once lost a Supreme Court ruling, and he said, well, they rule that way. Now let them enforce it. Uh, he'd probably get impeached today. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'd say uh, uh, that those two presidents are most like Trump. Wow. So how do we as Christ followers, how do we work with people who may not agree with us? Like, you know, agree with our position or with who we're voting for? How, how do we, because that's, that's a big deal, right? In your family, in your workplace, how do we as Christ followers try to balance that difference of opinion in political spheres? I think that may be the single biggest issue in front of Christians in this presidential election, mm. is that we need to be able, when this is over, to work at loving our political enemies. Mm. We're commanded to love our enemies. In fact, G.K. Chesterton said, the Bible says uh, to uh, uh, love one another, uh, love your neighbor, and it also says to love your enemy. And as G.K. Chesterton said, and often those are the same people. Uh, <laughs> so we, we need to learn to wow. love our political enemies. Mm. I mean, that's not easy. Mm. I mean, I don't really think about having enemies, but there are people on uh, two sides of this, this presidential election who really can't speak to one another. Right. Right. And um, there's nothing Christian in that. Mm -mm. And, and so another word I would use as it relates to our Christian reaction is humility. Mm. Now, you and I may know absolutely we are right in who we think should be president. Mm -hmm. You and I hadn't talked about this. And even we might have different candidates, but we're absolutely right that we know. Yeah. But we ought to have a little Christian humility to back off and say, well, maybe we ought to just listen mm. a little, little bit. Christian listening could go a long way in 2000, mm. 2020. Yeah. It, yeah, I, I think that sums it up. And it seems like that's a lost art in Washington, doesn't it? I mean, like, it seems like Congress and in all branches of government has become so divisive that nobody listens anymore. Uh, I hate watching these uh, televised congressional hearings where each uh, committee person is given five minutes and they'll speak for four minutes and 30 seconds, ask a question at the end and then expect the other person to answer. And when they answer, they say, well, my time's up. You can't answer. You know, listening in humility could help us all. Yeah, it's a game changer. Yeah. I mean, it really is. So how do we engage in politics without being brash and, uh, you know, um, so divisive. Well, Tim Keller said that we should guard against allowing our uh, political convictions become our Christian convictions. In other words, mm. uh, don't let uh, being for Trump become uh, being a Republican make you a Christian. I mean, it's hard enough to convince non-believers to be for Jesus without then trying to convert them to be 
Republican or Democrat. Yeah. Those are two different things. Yeah. And we just have to remember that Christianity and politics are separate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that uh, if once we start merging our choice for president and our faith, uh, uh, it, it could go downhill in a hurry. Yeah. Our faith is number one. Yeah, yeah. And what if we were so passionate about our faith as, as we are for the If we spend half as much time <laughs> wow. talking about the kingdom of God as we do uh, the presidents of the United States, we would be way ahead of there. <laughs> It'd be a game changer. Yeah. So how do we talk about, this is, this is an important question, I think. You're a dad, you have grandchildren. How do we talk to our kids about politics? Because what you see out there on the news, I mean, you know, you got Fox News, you got CNN, you got MSNBC, everybody's got an agenda today, uh, you know, and then what we read online. How do we talk to our kids in a healthy way about politics? Well, I, I think it's good to uh, tell our children that this is history being made. And so often when history is made, you don't really see it or recognize it yeah. at the time. So you say, this is history. Mm, and that's good. 50 years from now, this, this will be in the history books, mm -hmm. and you're getting to see it up close. And, and then to say, uh, to help them understand, there are two sides to these issues. And this is how we make our choice. This is how other people make their choice. And to help them understand that the, uh, because we do have the privilege of a choice, that is the key to our democracy. Wow. And as long as we have choices every four years, our democracy will be just fine. Mm, that's good. And it's reassuring, too. It's not, not doomsday with whoever wins or loses. Right. It's, it's no, God's in control, and we do have this vote. I mean, that is a gift. Um, we live in this country, you know, praise God. How do we, how do we pray for this election? So as, as believers, uh, we believe in the power of God, and we believe in God's sovereignty. How should we be praying for the election and for our country in this time? I think we should pray for the next president. Okay. And I think we should pray for peace and wisdom and discernment uh -huh. and that God would use whoever it is to uh, help all of us in this world today. Mm. See, I think that's good. I think we end up talking a lot about the people and not ever praying for them, but praying for the next president. Right. I mean, my, uh, my mother prayed for my wife uh, 20 years before she had any idea who it was going to be. Well, we should pay, pray for our next president really without knowing who it's going to be. Wow. Because they're going to need our prayers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's going to be a different world, whoever, whoever wins. As you look at this, there's so much talk about, well, mail-in ballots. We're not going to know who's the winner on November 3rd. You know, it could go on. Do you see that or do you see like, no, this is going to be pretty clear cut and we're going to move on? Or is there a past history for that? There is a past history. In 1876, uh, they could not agree on three states' uh, electoral votes. And they, uh, they went uh, months trying to figure it out. And they finally formed a commission that had uh, five members from the House, five members from the Senate and five members from the Supreme Court to try to uh, figure it out. And then the House and the Senate still didn't. They were divided like we are today. And uh, finally, uh, Rutherford B. Hayes won. Uh, 
after he agreed to take the uh, troops out of the South uh, in, a, in kind of a deal. Uh, but uh, uh, Grant, President Grant said he was going to use troops to put in a new president if, if the uh, Congress couldn't decide. That was uh, a mess, and we could have a mess today, but I don't think we will. I, I think we need to, in my mind, we're so used to getting the outcome that night. Yeah, yeah, night. yeah, yeah. Just because the results are delayed doesn't necessarily mean they're crooked. Mm -hmm. uh, there are states now that legally are saying that absentee ballots or write-in ballots can be, mail-in ballots can be counted up to seven days later. Okay, that's a, we're a nation of laws. If that's the laws in those states, let's accept that and let's not say that it's automatically going to be fixed. It doesn't mean that there won't be some people that might try to do that, but I believe in the laws of our land and mm. I believe that they will carry us through. The Supreme Court may probably will end up trying to having to decide this race. Really? But because we're a country of laws, um, we'll be all right. Mm. It'll be interesting if yeah. the Supreme Court has to step in. Like they did in 2000. Is that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that's interesting. But I hope we're not as confused as they were in 1876. Oh, me too, me too. Yeah, you do look back on history, and it does give you that perspective. I think mm -hmm. that's healthy. I think that's good. And um, it kind of is reassuring. It's like, oh, we're going to be okay. You know, we're going to come through this. We're going to be okay. So as you look at, you know, the candidates and this election that's coming up, who do you think is going to win? <laughs> <laughs> this is like college game day, Charles. We're going to, like, hold you to it. Well, I, I, I will say uh, – uh, in the typical hedging of my bet. <laughs> um, it used to be hard, uh, going back to uh, 1900, it used to be hard for a president to get reelected. But since the days of uh, Bill Clinton, m most presidents have been reelected. That's uh, true. So you'd say uh, that uh, President Trump would be reelected. On the other hand, uh, there's what's called the blue wall. Uh, for the Democrats electorally that gives them 242 electoral votes out of 270 before you even start. And that has always, that has helped them uh, for the last 20 years, except with President Trump. If they can retain the blue wall, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, uh, then Pre uh, Biden will win. So I can, I can cite good cases for why either one of them will win to show you what a nerd I am, I amuse myself at night by moving the, the states around electorally to see what impact that has on the electoral vote. And I can go anywhere from a Biden landslide electorally to Trump uh, winning just like he did last time. So it's going to come down to which states? Uh, Florida and Pennsylvania. Two states, those that, two. That's what I think. So you can stay up and watch those states, and Just, once you know, you're good. You can go to bed. <laughs> you can go to bed after that. So do you think we should still have the Electoral College? Well, I think it's impossible to get rid of it. It's to take a constitutional amendment. Uh -huh. uh, I would, each state is allowed to use uh, their electoral votes however they want to. I would change it to have uh, a, by congressional district and then give the overall winner the uh, other two electoral votes. Each state gets the number of con congressional seats they have, plus two for the Senate. So uh, you could that would make then the congressional districts in play, 
and would give it, make it a little closer to the people than right now where it's winner take all for the state. Yeah, just you know, they get I, all those. I, I don't need to vote in Tennessee because we know how it's going to go. Yeah. Uh, you know, the history is there for it being a very Republican state. Mm-hmm. But if it were by congressional district, it might make it a little closer uh, to the people and make them feel better about it. I think it'll be a long time before we actually get rid of the electoral college. Yeah, yeah, I don't see it changing, but that's... And, that's... and it's there. I mean, the founding fathers put the country together as a compromise. Uh-huh. And the small states uh, did not want to be overshadowed by the large states, and so the Electoral College was a way of compromising. And that compromise still holds today. Yeah, it's good. The blue wall. That, that's, <laughs> I'm going to be thinking about that on election night. So tell me this, Charles, in all your vast experience, who do you think is the greatest president we've ever had? Oh, I don't know about the greatest. I could say the greatest is probably Abraham Lincoln. He held the country together. But if you were to ask me my favorite mm. president, uh, it was President George H.W. Bush. Mm. And it's because uh, I believe he displayed and held the fruits of the fruit of the spirit the most of any president. Mm. He had love, joy, peace, patience, kindness gentleness, mm-hmm. and self-control. Mm-hmm. And I just admired that so much in him. He wasn't the best president, mm-hmm. but I, I just loved him mm-hmm. because I thought he really had those qualities. Mm-hmm. Well, you were on them too. You know? <laughs> so that was, that was great. I love when you talked about, and I think for all men, you know, when you talked about what we want in a leader is that wisdom, discernment, and self-control. And every one of us guys who are watching, you know, I mean, we're dads, you know, or husbands, or we're leaders at work. And if those are the qualities in us, right, the dogma in our life, right, the wisdom, the discernment, self-control, that would make us a better leader and make our country better too. So, Charles, this has been great. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in today on Men's Leadership Network. And and let's be praying for the election. And I want to Close us in a word of prayer right now. Father, thank you, God, that you are sovereign. Thank you that our citizenship is in heaven and that you are on the throne, regardless of who wins this presidential election coming up on November 3rd. God, you already have a plan and a purpose for our lives and for our country. And so, God, I pray for every man watching today. I pray that we would be the leaders that you have called us to be. Because, God, we know when you impact a man, you impact a, a marriage, you impact a family, you impact a workplace, a community, and a church. And so let us be men of wisdom and discernment. Let us be men of self-control, God. Don't let us make bad decisions, but let us keep our eyes fixed on you. And we pray for our country today. We pray for our leaders today, Father. And we pray most of all, God, that you would be glorified in our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this time. Thank you for Charles. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Charles, thanks for joining in. Thank you. Guys, thanks for watching today. Join us next month as we continue our podcast and also every Friday for our Man Minute as we continue to grow to become the men that God created us to be. Blessings on you guys today.